Our passage this morning is John chapter 8, starting in verse 21. John 8, 21 through 37. And <clears throat> throughout John, we've seen over and over again that the... Uh, the purpose that John has, as he says near the end of the book, is that he, he wrote these things so that we would believe and that believing we would have life in his name. So we all love the book of John because John is, you know, the apostle of love. And, and yet, and we all love John 3.16, right? Because it's filled with this promise of love. And it's a wonderful book. Um, but as we've seen as we've been going through it, there's this constant tension, there's this constant conflict between those who believe in Jesus in one way that doesn't lead to life and those who believe in Jesus in another way that leads to life. And we see this again in our passage, that contrast between those who do not truly believe and what we see this morning is that they remain slaves to sin, whereas that those who truly believe are set free. So this, of course, is a very important contrast, right? Because we don't want to be those who are left enslaved to sin. We want to be those who are rather set free and who are living our lives in the righteousness that we see in this passage that Jesus describes for those who truly believe. All of this uh, passage is while Jesus is speaking in the temple. And so as with most of the book of John, it's all directed to the Jews, which means that it's people of God, people who are of the chosen people, people who had the Old Testament, who, who knew and understood much. Um, and yet what we'll see is that just like us, they were uh, often dense when it came to the things that they should understand. So John 3.16 comes in the context of Jesus saying to Nicodemus, are you really one of the teachers of Israel and you don't understand this? And then he lays out this simple message, right, that, that we, by God's grace, have hopefully come to understand. But the whole question is, have we really come to understand it? Have we understood and believed truly as Jesus describes here and, and throughout the book? Or have we believed in him in, in some other way that leaves us without hope? And many of the Jews here are, in spite of Believing in Jesus in one way, Jesus' promise to them is not one of hope, but one of condemnation. So we need to have clear in our minds from the very beginning, this distinction is the distinction between life and death. And it's just over and over again in the book of John. So if you get sick of it, then you can... Read Matthew or something. I don't know. (laughs) 
But in the meantime, we're going through John, and we just can't escape it over and over again. And, and, the, and the beauty of it is, and there's no reason to get sick of it, because the beauty of it is that from that contrast, from that, from that conflict between those, is where the true gospel flows out every week. And so we have the hope of grace that's given to us here, and it's a beautiful hope. So please stand for the reading of God's word from John chapter 8. We're going to read verses 21 through 37. Then he, Jesus, said again to them, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sins. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, Surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. So they were saying to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, What have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, Then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. You may be seated. Jesus starts... Or, you know, we're picking up, it's not clear if it's right in the middle of a message to them or uh, if there's some sort of a break here. Um, But it's continuing his teaching, it's continuing his thoughts that he had been giving to the Jews. So it's, it definitely flows out of what's come previously. And what's come previously is often him speaking about who he is often him speaking about who his father is. And so, at the start of this, 
Jesus says to them, and remember that he had hidden himself, or he, he, had, he had basically gone into hiding down in Galilee prior to this, and then he had come up to the feast three days late. So this feast, all the people are looking to hear from him, all the people are excited that Jesus is likely going to be there, and they're going to be able to hear him, and then he's not there. And then he shows up three days late, and everybody's listening to his preaching and his teaching, and it's kind of a mixed bag what the response is like. And it, a lot of it has to do with his claims about who he is. And remember, if we're going to believe in him, we need to make sure we know who he is. Believe in him as he actually is, not as we claim him to be. In other words, if you believe that Jesus was a good man who lived 2,000 years ago and died and was buried, believing in him will do nothing for you because you have not believed in him as he truly is, right? So as he truly is, is what he's trying to explain to the people over and over and over again. And so he picks up again and he says, I'm going to go away and you're going to look for me. But what? You will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Not what we wanted to hear. Right? Why? Well, because... Let's look at the obvious first. We don't like hearing about death. We don't like thinking about sin. And something about dying in sin sounds really bad, doesn't it? And on the flip side, we think to ourselves, you know, I think I'd prefer to go where he's going. We do. We want to go where he is going. Why? Because it's above. And if we don't go there, the only other option is dying in our sins. So if we can figure out a way to get to where he's going, above, rather than dying in our sins, that's great. That's what we want. And there's nobody who doesn't want that. Everybody wants that. And that's part of what Jesus is making clear here when he says that he is from above. But the other thing that he's making clear is who he is. Who is he? Well, he's God. It can't happen that we get to where he's going, unless, verse 24, unless we believe that he is, or as he puts it, that I am. Now, if you look in your Bible, you'll have a little italicized he next to that, right? Do you see that there? I don't know if you guys are looking. Verse 24. Yep. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. It's one of those weird things about languages and translations. If any of you know... Uh, any other language, you know that sometimes there's more included in a word than, than is easy to figure out how to translate. So he 
is understood and implied in what he says, I am he. And yet, all he actually says is, I am. All right? It's one of those weird things about language. Those of you who are younger will, will run into this as you begin to learn other languages. Um, but, so translating it, I am, would be perfectly correct. We have to believe that he is. Translating it, I am, he is also perfectly fine. Um, but we've got to, we have that helpful little italicized word. And the italicizing in your, in your translation indicates that the word is implied, not actually there. Okay? So our translators have done this to be helpful to us. So pay attention to those words and, and think about removing them sometimes as you're, as you're reading. What would this look like without that implied word? Oh, and a lot of times it's a lot harder to understand, but also a lot of times it's a lot more intense. And in this case, when Jesus says, unless you believe that I am, it's very intense because all of these people that he's speaking to were Jews. And the Jews knew the Old Testament inside and out, and they knew that Yahweh, Jehovah, the great I am, called himself I am. And so every time Jesus says this, it's clear what he's saying. It's clear that he is making a claim to be the one true God. And yet, the people don't understand. They ask, what? Believe that you are who? It's like he left the last word off. Unless you believe that I am, then what? And what's the bad news that comes after that? You will die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. I'm like, wait, wait. Believe that you are who? But of course, he didn't mutter something under his breath there, did he? He didn't leave anything off. He didn't make it ununderstandable, hard to understand. He made it clear. I am is his claim to be God. Not just that he exists, mind you. Right? Here, I am. If I say that, all I mean is me, physically, I am here. I am not a figment of your imagination, right? You can believe that I am in a totally different way than believing that Jesus is the way he wants you and commands you to here, right? So the, my, my point is, again, there's two different ways of believing in Jesus. The one way of believing in Jesus is, yeah, all the people that were standing there believed that there was a man standing there. They believed in him. There is Jesus. We know he exists. They even believed in his miracles, most of them. 
I mean, they were impossible to deny. There was dead people that were alive again. There were, there were uh, people who were blind who could see. There were people who were lame who could walk. There were people who had demons who no longer had demons who were clothed. And there were people who were insane who weren't insane anymore. There were people who, were, uh, who had epilepsy who no longer had epilepsy, right? All of these things these people had seen and they knew that Jesus existed. They knew that he was performing miracles. They believed it. They believed in him. They believed, like many people do today, that Jesus was a good man who lived. And yet, that's not what Jesus is calling them to believe when he says, unless you believe that I am he you will die in your sins. The Jews should have understood this. We should understand this. And yet we're always most confused when we don't want to understand, right? You kids, your parents are explaining how to do something, right? And all you want to do is go outside and play. All you want to do is go swimming. All you want to do is call your friend, whatever it is, play Xbox or who knows what you do. You know, that's all you want to do. And your parents have given you work to do. And it's just, it's just too much for you, isn't it? It's just too hard. You can't understand how to do it. Isn't this, isn't this what happens to us a lot of the time? It's like, oh, but mom, I've tried. Dad, I, I, I was working at it. I really, I just can't figure out what you're telling me to do. You're just going to have to do it so that I can go outside and play. And of course, we never say that at the end, right? But isn't that when we're always most confused is when we're intent on not understanding because we just don't want to know. We don't want to know how to do it. We don't want to know how to do it because we don't want to do it. And this is the Jews. They're just, they're just being intentionally thick-headed. And this is what we do, of course, right? I mean, I've, I've been picking on the kids, but I always pick on the kids because it's easiest for us to understand because we see ourselves doing the same thing. You have done this with your boss, haven't you? Those of you who have bosses play dumb sometimes because you just don't want that extra responsibility or that extra work. You don't want to work extra hours? Oh, no, I'm not sure I've ever been trained on that. I mean, this, isn't, this, is, this is just normal. This is the normal response of people who don't want to understand because we don't want to face the reality of that understanding, what that would require of us. The re, what, this, what this requires of the Jews is that they worship Jesus. And they don't want to. They don't want to worship Jesus. And so they're very confused and they ask, believe that you are who? And Jesus says, what have I been telling you all along? 
He kept telling them that he came from God. Verse 26. He kept telling them that he was giving them the messages of God. That all he ever says is what, the, what has been given him to say. That all he's ever said is the words of the one who sent him. These are the kinds of things we've read over and over again in John. And so he just says, look, I, you guys. I've been saying this over and over again. I keep telling you, and yet they're still confused. And it says in verse 27, they didn't know he was talking about the Father. Now, it says they did not understand. They did not know that he was talking about the Father. So, I have to give them a little bit of slack here, right? It's not that, like, it says they knew he was talking about the Father, but they wouldn't listen, and so they pretended to not think that he was talking about the Father. It says they really didn't know he was talking about the Father, but it's still because they have not been listening. So if we return to the, uh, if we return to the child who doesn't want to do what his parents have told him to do and doesn't seem to be able to get it, at some point in this drawn-out instruction process, no, I said do this and this and this, you can really look at them and realize, wow, they don't know. They, they don't know how to do what I've told them to do. And, and I have told them how to do it four times now. And they still don't understand how to do it. But why don't they understand how to do it? It's not because you haven't told them. It's because they haven't been listening. And so it is with the Jews. Jesus has been telling them, and yet they have not been listening. And so they still don't know that he's talking about the Father when we get to verse 27. Verse 25 is where he says that. What have I been saying to you from the beginning? And then verse 26 is this sort of, uh, I, it's this sort of impatient little uh, continuation on that thought. He says, I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. Now what's going on there in that little interjection? But he who sent me is true. Well, there's some sort of contrast there, right? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but the one who sent me is true. Remember, this is in the context of them not understanding, not realizing that he's talking about the Father, not even recognizing his claim to be God. And it also is right after he got done saying, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? In other words, he says right after that, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? And then he says, I have many things I could say about you, but hold on a second, forget that. <laughs> I'm not going to go off on you guys right now. Let me return to my point. The one who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. 
He has come from above, hasn't he? He's come from above. He is not from below like we are, like the Jews are. There is something totally other about him. And that has to be clear to the Jews at this point. He had God with him. Verse 29. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So what do we see? He came from God. He came from above. He was giving them the messages of God. He had God with him. He perfectly obeyed God's law. What does all of this stuff add up to? It adds up to God. He is the great I am. And when does he say that they will fully understand this? When they lifted him up. That is, when they crucified him on a cross. It became abundantly clear to everybody the day that Jesus was crucified that he was not just a man. Even the Roman guard standing at the side of the cross the moment that Jesus died, the earth was darkened. The curtain in the temple was torn in two. Cataclysms. This, is, this was a major event. And the, the man, the, the Roman guard standing at the foot of the cross said, surely this was the Son of God. Surely this man came from above. Surely this man is other than us. He is not from below like I am. That's what is included all in that statement. It became so clear on the day that he was crucified. And it became clear to the Jews too. They had been standing there mocking him. If you're the son of God, save yourself. And then he died. And the sky went black. And can you imagine the clarity that they had at that moment? He was always giving us the words of God. He was always performing signs that proved he was from God. He never did anything wrong that we could ever catch him in. And we killed him. It became so clear. And that already happened, right? We're not waiting for that to happen. That happened once for all. And so do you believe? Do you believe in that Jesus? 
not just the good man who did amazing things and maybe was a bit of a trickster. The very Son of God. If you do believe, then you will continue in his word. Because Jesus says that's what a true disciple does. Now that's, this is the point in the, in the chapter where we're all tempted to get either very unhappy with what Jesus says, or where we just sort of go off and, and like forget that we're reading the Bible for a few seconds and then pick up again a couple verses later. In other words, just not process it. Right? How often do you do that when you're reading? You're just like, you're reading along and then... I don't remember anything that I just read in the last five verses. Now, I'm... Happens to me all the time. Okay? Because you get... We, we are easily distracted by the cares of this world. We're easily turned aside to thinking about other things. And... Yet, there are times where it's, uh, what? It's another example of where you're never so confused as when you don't want to understand. Right? And so sometimes when you're reading and you just sort of blip over verses and don't remember anything about them, it's because you just had a mental blip. But other times there are times where it's because you just don't want to deal with it, with what it says. So let's go back and see if any of you remember what we read here. Verse 31, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The Jews did not miss this statement. Excuse me. The Jews noticed what Jesus had said. They didn't just notice what he had said, but they read into it appropriately that his implication is that they are slaves. Right? Because you cannot be set free, like he says is going to happen if they truly believe, unless you're what? A slave. You can't be set free unless there's something to be set free from. So those who are true disciples continue in his word, learn the truth, and are made free. And the Jews were offended. And they said... We've never been enslaved to anybody. This makes me think of people who call themselves voluntarists. Voluntarists are just anarchists by a nicer name. 
and they're adamant that they're not under any they're not under any obligation to obey any authority. They just they just do what they do. They just do it voluntarily. And so think about the Jews at this point. The Jews are living under Roman rule, right? And the Jews can't do whatever they want, right? They have to go get permission from the Roman governor to to crucify Jesus in the end, right? The Jews are not free in the sense that they want to be free. This is the whole thing that they've been looking for in a Messiah, somebody to set them free from the rule of the Roman law, right? And so today, there is a whole group of people who claim to be Christians who are really looking for somebody to set them free from being underneath the U.S. rule of law. Because it's sinful. And there's no doubt about it, the U.S. rule of law is utterly corrupt from top to bottom. Right? It is. It starts with murder of of the weakest and the innocent. Right? So it's corrupt. But is that what Jesus has come to set us free from? Being under that sinful rule of law? No. So the Jews are confused and offended by Jesus saying that they'll be set free. Because it becomes ever more clear the more that Jesus talks that he's not going to free them from the Romans, that he's going to free them some other way. And what we always want is we want to be freed from the things that are bothering us. And an awful lot of the time what bothers us is not our own sin. An awful lot of the time what bothers us is other people's sin. And other people's even not sin. Just the fact that there is somebody in authority over us bothers us, even if they're not sinning. And so, here's the Jews, and they, and they say, what? We've never been enslaved to anybody. And it's absurd on the face of it. They spent 400 years enslaved in Egypt... They're enslaved to the Romans before that. They were enslaved to the Babylons. I mean, it just goes on and on. Slavery after slavery after slavery in the way that they're talking about. And yet, they want to say, no, we've never been enslaved the way you've talked about it because we're sons of Abraham. We've always had God's law. We've never been enslaved. And Jesus says, no. Those who commit sin are enslaved to sin. Another verse where it's just like, bloop, could we bloop that one? Because it goes together perfectly with that other one we really don't want to think about, which is that, what, a true disciple does what? Do Do we remember? If you're truly my disciple, then what? You'll obey my commandments. And then, if you sin, what? You're enslaved to sin. What's going on here? Jesus is speaking. 
he, he's giving us the gospel, you guys. He's speaking this beautiful, beautiful truth. And the truth is that we are born into sin. We are born into slavery to that sin. We commit that sin because we're sinners. We, we're enslaved to it because there's nothing we can do to stop. But in the middle of this, you've got that promise. What? That you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If what? Well, what, what makes us very uncomfortable is we feel like he's saying, well, if you obey, if you keep his commandments. And so it feels like the whole weight of our salvation, the whole weight of our holiness, the whole weight of our being, learning the truth and being set free comes down to obeying his commands. Doesn't it? Doesn't it feel that way when you read this? And isn't that why you want to avoid it? Let's read it again. You guys are looking at me like, no, I never feel that way. I'm going to read it again. You're not going to be able to avoid it. Picking up in verse 31 in the middle, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. If you're truly his disciple, you'll keep his word, which is to say not sin, right? And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free, and it's just like, oh, great. Jesus is doing what we always think can't happen, which is he's bringing the law, and he's bringing it with a sledgehammer down on top of us. And this is, this is the good news that he's giving. Okay? And the point is to make it clear to us who we are. Is there anyone who does not commit sin? No. We all commit sin. And so what? What does that mean? Well, we are all slaves of sin. That's how we start. And what have the Jews been complaining about? The Jews have been complaining and saying, no, we've always been free. We've never been enslaved. And, and if that's our thought, together with the Jews, then we cannot have any good news. There's no good news for those who don't need good news. There's no doctor healing those who aren't sick, right? This is Jesus talks in another situation. And so until we are able to admit that we are slaves and that our slavery is to our sinful nature, to sin itself, all right, 
there can't be any good news for us. The Jews cannot receive the blessing that comes from truly believing in Jesus Christ until they can also say, and I am a sinner. And there's nothing I can do to get out of this pit of sin. I preached this sermon in the prison, the county, the county jail yesterday, and I, one of the things that I said to them is that even people who are in jail are often very proud of the fact that they aren't enslaved to anyone, that they can do whatever they want. I mean, this is, this is a common thing. This, is, this theme of us feeling like, no, no, I'm not. No, I do what I want. No, I'm in control. We always want to feel like we're in control. And the, the thing that we've got to start with is realizing, no, we're not. We're enslaved to the lusts that come out of our hearts. That's what's really going on. And that's where that whole desire to make sure that you're in control comes from in the first place. It's just another lust for power. And so Jesus reveals to us what true freedom is. True freedom is freedom from sin. We all start in that condition. Everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And yet, he does not stop there. He continues. And he talks about the difference between the slave and the son. And the son being in the house forever. What house? You know, you just imagine the Jews, they're going to ask the same questions again, right? What house? Remember where I said I was going? Five minutes ago, I said I was going somewhere and you couldn't get there. That's where, that house, that's me. I'm the son, I'm there forever. And what? If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. In other words, what Jesus is promising is that you will be like him, a son of God. You will be like him, free from sin. It is not possible to get free of this enslavement to sin on your own. Only the Son can make you truly free from your sinful nature. Good choices can do a lot of good for you and a lot of good for other people. But they cannot make you free. Do you see the difference between doing good and being freed the difference between doing good and being freed is that when you do good and it's not by faith it's not pleasing to God and you're still enslaved to your sin But when you're freed from sin, then you are able to do good by faith. 
And then when you do good by faith, it's pleasing to God. And of all the most crazy things that anything you could do would ever be pleasing to God. (laughs) Because once you know what you're really like, that you started out enslaved to sin, then you think, nothing I could ever do would be pleasing to him. And that's where either you go into despair or you cast yourself on the mercy of Jesus Christ and you say, I need the Son to set me free. I've got to be freed. That's That's the only hope for me. I've been doing this do-good thing for the, my whole life. And what I keep finding is this, this war is impossible to win. I'm still enslaved. Now, the most difficult thing here is that many of you are Christians and that you're thinking, you're sitting there and you're thinking, yeah, but I still sin." Does that mean that I'm still a slave of sin? Are you trying to get me to doubt my salvation? Are you saying that until I stop sinning entirely, I'm not actually a Christian? Are you saying, you know, fill in the blank. Are you rejecting Reformed theology? Are you rejecting this biblical verse? Are you, you know, are you trying to make me go crazy, Joseph? (laughs) Because the tension is unbearable, this this sin that's still in me. But I, I think I'm a Christian until I read something like this and you force me to actually look at it and then I think maybe I'm, oh, I don't know, am I actually a Christian? So, let me try to keep you from going crazy. Okay? We will be free. The Son will make us free indeed. And if you have believed on Jesus Christ as he truly is, very God of very God, begotten, not made, and put your faith in him, you are free you are in the faith now how does this work in Romans Paul talks about the conflict of the the remaining man inner man left within him And that's something that's worth studying, but it's not what I want to focus on this morning because what I want to focus on this morning with regard to resolving this conflict isn't so much the simple statement that conflict between your, your two natures, right? Your sinful nature and the new heart that God has given you. Conflict between those will continue until the day that you die, okay? I'm just going to state that. But now, how do you know whether you are a Christian or not? Part of it is, yes, obedience. You look to fruit in your life. 
And part of that fruit is obedience. But this is not the central thing that I want you to look at. I want you to think about freedom. Okay? If you have ever experienced being freed in this way, you have experienced the work of God in your heart, changing your heart, removing a heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh. Now, a lot of times people object to uh, experiential focuses, experiential religion, all right? And part of the reason that they want, they, they, they worry about me saying if you've ever experienced is because they want, they're afraid that everyone will turn in on themselves and get looking in and focused on whether they've ever, you know, introverting and, and, and just getting all tied up in knots about whether they've experienced something, okay? But the thing about being freed is that Jesus does it. The Son does it. Does that make sense? It's not something that you do. It's something that He does for you. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Part of what that's saying is you will know Jesus, and Jesus will set you free. What does it mean to be free? It means... You hate your sin. It means that you're seeking to obey Him because you love Him. Why do you love Him? Well, because He set you free. And so what, what I want you to do is I want you to be both objective and subjective at the same time. I want you both to look at God, the unchanging, the perfect promises that stand forever and are always fulfilled. And I want you to look and see what he has done for you. None of us is perfect. But have you had the Holy Spirit at work in your heart. Then you're free. You are free. And this is how you are able to fight sin going forward. And this is why I work my way back to everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Because Nowhere in the New Testament do we see the focus turn away from our fight on, against sin. Nowhere do we see them say, but don't get too caught up in fighting sin. Nowhere do we see them 
saying, uh, but don't worry about yourself, only worry about Jesus. <laughs> Always what we see is, here is the objective truth of what Jesus Christ has done for his people. Now, obey him. And this is why, ultimately, this kind of message produces people who are fleeing to Jesus to embrace him, or it produces people who are angry at him and hate him. Jesus says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. And so in one sense, the answer to the question is, does hearing this give you hope and make you flee to Jesus? Or does it just make you angry? If it makes you angry, go back to the beginning and read it again. And then if you're still angry, go back to the beginning and read it again, and again, and again. Why? Well, because in this, what you see is you see the holiness of God and his call to you to live a holy life. And that's always what makes us mad. And then what do you see? You see the promise of salvation, of being truly freed from our enslavement to our sin. What more can you ask for? Seeing what you started as, could you possibly be ungrateful? Could you possibly look for more what are you going to demand of God before you submit yourself to him? Are you going to demand that you know that the future is going to look good for you before you submit? Are you going to demand that you know that none of your kids are going to die before you do? Are you going to demand that it's not going to be painful and that you're not going to lose friends in college or high school? over this? What are you going to demand that could possibly come anywhere close to being freed from enslavement? There's nothing like it. There's nothing better for us. The result is beautiful. When you see people who have been truly freed from sin, Don't you just love it? Isn't it just the most beautiful thing that you've ever seen when you see somebody who's truly been freed from sin? You see, you, you see people who give up, uh, give up drugs and their life is totally different, right? But there's a world of difference between those who have turned to Christ 
and been freed from addiction, and those who by the power of their own will and maybe some medication have gotten off heroin. And the difference is what? The difference is joy. The difference is true freedom versus still being enslaved. What a beautiful, beautiful thing for us to be servants of the Most High God, free from slavery to sin, set free to obedience to Him, and we delight in doing His will. Amen? Let's pray.